Hi, Sprocket listeners. You know me. I'm Aaron Flores. What? A couple weeks ago, I was able to uh, see Heinz Stuka uh, when he spoke over at Clever Cycles, um, and I uh, was fortunate enough to have brought a recorder and recorded the whole talk um, with the permission of both Heinz's people and Clever Cycles. We are able to bring it to you right here. A way that there was a list of countries where the most traveled person, you know, that's what they wanted to be in, you know, that the most traveled person. So I suddenly figured out that, that how many places, well, how many countries I knew, but that was not enough. They had to be in in more than, uh, you know, they were like 70 or 80, what they call territories, you know, so it's the countries and territories. And then you suddenly realize, boy, there are lots of places in the world that's not that easy to get to, or you have to have a lot of money. And uh, so then, but the, uh, the agent managed to get me into the Guinness Book, but not necessarily to be the, the most traveled person per se, but by, by bicycle. So that was always a trick, uh, the most traveled person by bicycle. But then in the year 2000, they changed uh, the, 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 the book, and, uh, and then I was taken out again. But anyway, that was one of the, one of the things. Okay, we have some. So where's the best place in- the best boy, the big nice bed and a beautiful lady on your side is not so bad, you know. But that is a rare occurrence. <laughs> I got a nice tent and I five stars, you know. But you invite a lady in a nice tent with five stars, what's that? <laughs> well, you know, Americans like the, the superlatives always. This is the highest, the best, the greatest, the worst. And so you must come up with something, you <laughs> know. Well, for money, for money, uh, yeah, no, because there's always so many so many aspects of what is the best, you know, where where it is, uh, where is where, where there's luxury, where, where things are functioning, where you can communicate with the people. So you you, you choose a country where they speak the language that you speak. You know, the big, the lonely languages for the, the whole world is English, Spanish. French, definitely those three languages will see you through maybe 100 or 120 countries. But then you have countries where you like the food best, you know. What do you want in life? What do you look for? A surfer wants to go the big, uh, the big wave in Hawaii, or, you know, it's like that. Uh, but, you know, if you have uh, for combined thing, cheap prices, good food, exotic place, you know, it's that what was what, what made me go. I didn't want to see my own culture. I wanted to see the Amazon. I wanted to see uh, the Himalayas. I wanted to see the exotic places, you know. So, maybe it's India, I don't know. It's India is a big country. Well, you also have to have a big country because you come to an exotic little island in the middle of nowhere. You're there three days and that's it. You have seen it. <laughs> so, India has so many things and it has one thing, and that's the worst thing. It has 1.3 billion people, and they want to make friends with you. <laughs> and that is the problem in India. But otherwise, India is a fantastic place. You know, there's a uh, oh food. Yeah. You have to like 
spicy food. <laughs> but it is necessary to eat their food because they prepare it fresh and, and then you are healthy, you get accustomed to it, your stomach gets accustomed to it, you never have any problem. Once a day to the toilet, bam, finish for the next 24 hours, you know. It's like that. But the people that come and, oh, they're too spicy, and then they ask for food that, you know, they also offer you food that the tourist wants, you know. But that is dangerous food because some of it is made only for the tourists, you know, and, and some of it is there for a couple of days already because there are not that many tourists, you know. But they, then, or the, or the electricity is gone and the meat has been in the refrigerator for some time because you ask for meat. Well, Indians generally don't eat meat, you know. So it's all these kind of things and then you may be in big trouble. Uh, have, have you had food? You have food poisoning? Have you ever had it? It's bad. <laughs> so, uh, best country, I mean, Japan was the best country for money. Because I, I had a, you know, in the beginning of my travels, you know, as you start, you know, I have a good beautiful bike. I put the names of places, I, I put the route, I put, I, it, it's an eye catcher, and people come and always ask questions. And so I said, well, it's, it's, a, it's a silly thing to always answer the same question. So you make a little little card, but not just a little card, but you know, I had a you know, couple of pages, a photograph, and some answers to my name, and I gave it away. So then they said, what, can, can I buy it? No, I don't, you don't need to buy it, but well, can I buy it? Well, do you want to buy it? Do you want to sell it? But, you know, you, you, you said, okay. As you like, you, you, you want to pay for it, you pay for it, you otherwise for, for free. So they, they said, they said you should sell that. That's the first time in, in South Africa, 1964, I tried, I had a two-page, a four-page little pamphlet, and I tried to sell it in the street, in front of the main post office in Cape Town. In no time I'd sold them all. It was a great idea. They had the money to get from South Africa to South America, and then in South America, every big city, I reprinted one of those, but I added to it. So I, it became six pages, eight pages, 12 pages, and in every country I, I printed maybe 5,000. Within a few days I sold them in pedestrian areas, wherever, and then I had invitations. I, uh, I had the money to, to, to make that my tour, or the addresses given in other cities of the country, so I made my three months around trip in the country, then I went to the next country and I did the same. So that was probably the best idea I ever had in the case of money. It, it would work just about anywhere. But in Japan it worked especially good. So I sold 35,000 brochures in, in, in Japan in a relatively short time, actually twice, because once I went there 20 years later, because I thought there was such a good money in the 70s, I go there and get more money. And I two two times printed one. And so then I had the money for six years of traveling at the rate of about $4,000 a year. So that's not much. But if you're on a continent, and Europe, Africa, Asia is connected, so you don't really need to take transport. You can go over that. Everything over that. Everything can be paid. And bicycle costs nothing. You know, you have a tent in case, you know, transport and accommodation would be the most expensive one. But the, uh, hotels don't exist, restaurants don't exist, but you have the, you can, food, you need basic food, you have rice, noodles, uh, uh, tea, sugar, 
uh, oats, I always had, you know, sort of, you can always make a meal from it, which is you buy it in bulk, and it doesn't cost much. But that is only the, the safety, that's a safety valve, you know, where you can, if nothing happens, you can go back and get, fill the stomach with that, what you have. But it actually, it's hardly ever necessary, because the people, they always love you to, 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 when they see the bike, they stop. Where you where you going? Where you we're sleeping? You sleep on the side of the road, boy. That's dangerous. You come into our house, and then they love you to eat their food. And there's in Russia, it's absolutely unbelievable. There's cushion, cushion, cushion. Eat, eat, eat. The more you eat, the more they have. They are, you know. So that's taken care of, you know. And then also invitations in houses. You know, the 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 the, the, the married couple goes out of there there in, in in poor countries and let you sleep in the in their wedding bed, and <laughs> they go and sleep in the sofa. Sometimes that happens. All it's very, it's unbelievable. But it is very important that you appear a friendly person. You have a bicycle, which is a good passport because a guy on a bicycle can't be a bad guy. <laughs> That's the way. Cool. And then they see the lines and the rules. Oh, and chooses them. And then, I mean. If you stick to that, you don't need any money, basically. And what you need is sometimes you pay for a new passport, for example, but in those days it was cheap. Now the new passport is very expensive. You've got more than 20 passports filled with stamps, you know. And uh, you need to uh, pay a ticket sometimes. Even sometimes a ticket you can get. If you ask around, and or they give you a special discount, or they make a bit of publicity. British Airways once in Antigua, in the Caribbean, because that was another part of the world where it became complicated because there's so many islands and you have to get in between. But uh, I arrived in Antigua, I missed the flight back that I had, and, and then I asked uh, in the office, yeah, I said, well, the next one, in five weeks we have an opening. <laughs> Antigua is a small little island, I only want to stay, so I whip out my booklet. And you know, it takes, it takes all and said, well, mm, yeah, well, we, we have to see what we can do. And the, there was a seat the next day. And then they already had the, 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 the press was there. And they, made, they gave me a British Airway cap. They put a British Airway t-shirt on me. I mean, it sounds like that. It usually works when, if you're just... You know, people go out of their way when, when there is something special. Let's see if some, uh, that was the best country. We are still at the best country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what other best countries? I mean, Latin America I like very much for what I, if you know the language, is very helpful. They are all very enthusiastic and you, uh, they, they even talk more than I do. <laughs> for the Italians especially. <laughs> Uh, are there dangerous places? Have you been to a place that you felt really... Well, there are dangerous places that you, you read about and you think about, but it's amazing when you get there, you don't encounter any of it. You may, and you may, in the safest of places, you may encounter somebody just happened to be crossing your way and, and, uh, and robbing you blind. You know, I mean, like in the United States, one time, I died, it's a long time ago, but I was partly hitchhiking because sometimes, well, this was a... Two Americans had a, they had, but no, they are not only guns, of course, they are runaway, they had an accident playing in Costa Rica, they were, they were on a hunt and misplayed, somebody shot 
each other. They shot one shot the other one in the leg. And so I met them in Costa Rica, and they and they had been in hospital. They ran out of money, but they had to, they lived from they came from Buffalo, and they had, and they uh, were in a, in a van, a Volkswagen van, and they uh, they needed up there. He did this guy was in, in a casket up to here, and they needed another driver. And I wanted to see Montreal, the World World Exhibition there, so I went with them. And then I tried to hitchhike back, and somebody picked me up, and uh, near near New York, somewhere in New York, in New Jersey, actually, he uh, he asked me, I don't know, he probably saw my, he had an expensive camera at the time, I don't know, but he drove into a shopping mall and sort of did the way normally you have to park, but everybody tries to park as close as possible to, to the shop where they want to go. So instead of parking, he went right in front of the shop, and he said, just jump out and get me these cigars. You know, and I went into the shop, and I get, got the cigars pretty quickly, but at the moment I left the car, I thought, I said, well, I better take my bag with my passport and things, but I didn't because it would have, would have shown that I didn't trust him, and you always have to trust people. That's one of the, sometimes it's misplaced trust, but anyway, what happened was, the car moved out of sight for a moment, and I just sort of got the, the, the money back. He gave me actually the money for the cigars, and I, and I just saw the tail end of the car, and he was gone with all of my stuff in the car, you know, my passport and everything. So things like that happened, but uh, I didn't, it didn't stop me because it's uh, it's one of those few other, only one violent attack in South Africa recently. That's why I don't smile so much anymore because they, they, they kicked out my teeth and I went to a dentist and said implantation cost a lot of money. Is that six thousand euro? Well, I better don't smile so much. <laughs> I I have a question. Uh, kind of vexed to me myself for a while. Uh, I've been nomading for about fifteen years. Yeah. And I don't call myself a nomad in that sense. No, okay. I mean, I travel. But similar. Well, I mean, you're living, uh, constantly living, and moving. I'm very. I'm, in my mind, is a very great plans all the time. I'm not. I mean, I seem to seem to be bumming around, but it's not true. Okay. Uh, uh, the question I have for you is: Is there a place that uh, you have identified as home, or are you seeking a home? Like for me, I. I yeah, you know, I know a lot it, it of, it a lot of people traveling, start traveling, they wind up in Australia and they stay. Right. They wind up in, in at that time in Asia and they stay. Right. Lots of cyclists I've met, yeah. but. Uh, uh, so you, do you have a home? A place is, home? I, it's funny because people ask uh, about uh, uh, where, where's your home. You know, if, if <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a joke because <laughs> every place I stay the second time in the same place is my home. Okay. So I'm going home mm -hmm. means uh, if but. The first night cannot be because I don't know where I will stay the night. But if it's the second night, for example, in Mexico City, I stayed two months, and then uh, I have a little hotel where I stayed. So uh, anytime somebody let's go home. Let's go. Where's your home? Oh, in Cayunion, uh, 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 this was the, the place where I stayed. So, but uh, home sickness, I I don't know. Home fear, I know. I'm afraid of going home. I'm afraid of leaving that kind of life. I'm afraid of going back into the factory. I'm afraid of going back into my village where everything is... Uh, is uh, I mean, the life on it's so exciting. New things all the time. It, 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 uh, it, it's unthinkable to... Uh, sure, the comfort, everybody likes a certain amount of comfort. 
and I had it often, unexpectedly, from one moment to another, in, a, in, in misery, and the next day I was in a, in a, in a millionaire's home. I mean, this is, uh, and, and, and the unexpected is something that keeps you, I don't know, if you feel that as a, if you, I, uh, yeah, I, I guess, is, is there a place I where you call home more the, than the other good home? reception of the people. Is, is there a place where you call the, the place you may always go back to just to say, this is more or less home, you know, it's not really the born place where you're born, but yeah, the, well, it, it could be India, or Nepal, the Thailand. country you come from, of course. Is it? Uh, I'm not, I mean, as you travel, if you travel and stay in a place for a long time, you, you have a, a, the identity of the place yeah. and, and a little bit of identity from where you come from. Yeah. But because I stay a short time in a country, I'm always still yeah. uh, the identity of a German when you stay. Although I, when I meet Germans, I, uh, I don't agree with them. And I, 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 I tell them, no, I'm not, that, I'm not Germany. <laughs> because you behave so differently. Yeah. So no hope. Right now, it's not like no home yet. Presently, I got the place where I was born after 51 years. The first time I come back to that place yeah. because I needed a place to work through that all this accumulated stuff. It's not like somebody gets rid of things. I can't get rid of things. It's, but it's a souvenir. It's a, it, people give you souvenirs. In Japan, it's awful. You know, they always give you, you know, it's called, you know, and you, and you get, you do, man, people, I know people, they throw it away. You know, I can't use it, but you can't do that. You have to honor the person, you know, so you have to keep it. And then you have to send it somewhere. Now, I, for many, many years, I sent things to my sister in Germany, and it's piling up in her house. You know. <laughs> and then uh, some years ago, he, she, uh, she called and he said, look, we are going to tear down the house, and my son, uh, he, and her son wants to rebuild, and this is, uh, my father built the house, which, is, uh, which was uh, right after the war, but uh, simply made. And they want, you know, Germans are, they want always something better, the neighbor has something better, they tear the whole thing. There was perfectly all right house, no, he had it torn down. And then she said, what do you want to do with your stuff? You know, it's uh, bothering us here. <laughs> and so eventually that was a place where I had a place in Paris where some, somebody, he, he, he moved to the south of France, he didn't want to rent the place because he can't get a, uh, a, a locateur, they call him in France, get him out. Because once they're in, it's very difficult to get them out. So he wasn't, and he was sometimes in Paris, but he was happy to have somebody there, you know. And so it became my base camp for, for about 12, 13 years. And, and that was already during a time when it was more complicated to travel continuously because I'd seen so much. So it was only this place or that place or to make the Guinness Book of Records. And, and so that was where my sister finally they agreed because there was a little bit they had to be careful because my father you have some entitlement uh, in, inherit inheritance for that you know so they were nice enough to they presented me with a bill of about twenty thousand dollars because what they had spent in fifty or forty years at that time uh, about uh, taxes and all kinds of things the government if you have a house you have to pay then they had to tear down the garage because it was, was falling apart and so they presented me with a cost of 20000 to make me mm, okay I, okay I don't say it <laughs> so they, and then they brought me the stuff to Paris and they gave me a little bit of extra money and that was it you know so that was the, that was where I was yeah, I'm a bit sad about it because you know, the house is not there anymore I was born. but it's the same place where the city gave me a place, gave me a place where I don't have to pay any, any rent, and it's a beautiful place. It's a 
school master's uh, house in a school compound. It was really generous garden, and and it's a bungalow. It, I can spread out. I can imagine. I lived fifty years in a small tent, you know, basically, and, and now I have a big place. And all the stuff is there in the meantime, and I'm working on on uh, digesting the the, the, the the material and trying to do more than just the book. I'm not a writer, I'm a writer, but not a writer. And many people write around the world to write about it, and I, I, I just write around the world to write around the world. And unfortunately, but I do make my notes. And so this is a bit about uh, somebody who, uh, something, some interviews that I've had, or some snippets that they took from, from my, my booklet that I had, and, and the booklet I'm talking about, and so he quotes me in the book. But it's, it's done very nicely. I thought it wouldn't wouldn't be because the, the guy who wrote it as a third person, he only went two days. We had to talk two days. And he wasn't even interested in what I was saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. They are, he already knows, you know. But it's, it's still, what it is, is nicely done. Everybody says so, so I'm happy. <laughs> when you started traveling when you were younger, you mentioned wanting to go to exotic places like the Himalayas. How, how are you deciding where to go from one place to the next? You look at the world map, and then it's all open for you, you know. And, and you look at it, and you look at some areas that look like nothing, and you wonder what would be there. And then you find out, how do I get there? And it's brewing in the back of my head, and then you choose some routes that is reasonably easy to begin with, you know, so it's like towards the east was always easy, visas were easy, you know, if you wouldn't have got to America or to some other places, we had to prove that we had money and, and uh, be a, a, a welcome person, you know, not when you just bum around in a way that they considered sometimes bumming around, other than bumming around, but that was the way where, where you could go easily, and that was mainly exotic places, and that was the east, you know, India, the far east, and, uh, and, and, and then how do I continue from there, and then there was, and then it was the continent, so it's Africa, how do I get to Africa, trying to get a uh, lift on a boat, wasn't easy, then I got a boat, a Norwegian boat, that went to Russia at the time, and then Russia, my God, I, that's great, we, as a Westerner, you can't go to Russia easily, you know, they let me into Russia. That was in the 60s. <laughs> were there countries where you had a hard time because you were not regularly employed somewhere or where you yeah. had no home? Well, Fortunately, you're not allowed to work anywhere, almost anywhere. So if you do uh, take a proper time, I'm a tool time maker, so I could have gotten a job, but they catch you. You know, you can only do that in some some uh, uh, rich countries where Australia, and I know of people that have been sent out, they can never go to Australia again because of it. And I didn't need that because I had my own way of getting the money. I get the money from the photography, I got the money from the booklet, I got the money, I sold my story, and eventually I sold my story because I get good pictures with the bike, the scenery, and showing it to the big magazines in the world. All the big magazines in the world have used the story. Then they said, oh, you, what, you're carrying all your life, you know, superlatives. They want superlatives. Everybody wants superlatives, you know. And it's have all your life. And just let, uh, show what you, you prove it. And, you, and I make sure, that's why I'm a tripod, I make sure that I get good picture with the bike. The, the beautiful picture of landscape, they don't care. You in the landscape, but prominently, they look single bit, got two pages spread, 
2,000 in my pocket, yeah, because the big magazines pay according to pages, you know, and, and they pay like, usually about, <coughs> they usually pay about 500 to 1,000 per page, you know, or per picture they have, and so I, I went in every country, I went to the number one magazine, and almost always they took the story, and I had like two, three, four thousand dollars in my pocket. There's almost one story would, would, would see me through one year of traveling. How much time did you spend in Russia? About two years. But that was not that first time. That was uh, when uh, the Soviet Union crumbled. And that was a wonderful time. Everything was dirty. I didn't have a visa for one year in Russia. Nobody cared. Everybody was laughing about the, you know, everything had fallen apart. And it was, it was so cheap because the ruble had fallen down dramatically. But because everything is government uh, priced, that the government can't catch up with the fall of the ruble. So if you have dollars and you buy rubles and the prices are still the same, you know, you get things for very, almost nothing. In one station I could have taken a train from, from Moscow to Beijing for one US dollar. So because the one US dollar gave me 130 rubles at that rate because they had four. And 130 rubles before that was 130 dollars. And 130 dollars was the ticket that cost me. So I could, if you could get it, because the, the lady behind the counter, they knew. And so you had to bring a bottle of vodka. You know, and then you would get the ticket, you know, for one US dollar. Because you paid a ruble. And 130 rubles would have been 130 dollars. But at that moment, it was only one dollar. I mean, if you would have been clever, you could have made a lot of money there. You could have bought gold because everyone was entitled to a certain amount of gold for, for wedding rings, and they were selling their wedding rings on the street already. Or, the, or, or amber, for example. It was, I mean, I, I knew some people that made a lot of money. They bought the tickets in, in, a, in a large quantity for the Trans-Siberian train, and in Beijing and in Hong Kong, they sold to tourists they wanted for, 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 for a ticket that they bought for six or seven dollars, they sold it for a hundred dollars, no, hundred dollar profit in, in total. So in one year they sold three thousand tickets. So you figure out how much money that is. Did you usually try to bike on where the roads uh, were paved or basically it make no yes. to you? Not, yes, it makes well uh, it depends on on the importance of the sites and many years ago it was more important the sites than it is now and I would uh, would then make detours but normally I would uh, I'm not a, a cross country guy that would uh, uh, would, would the, 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 the tarmac is on one side the asphalt road is on one side and he would ride in the dirt because I've seen people that ride in well, why do you ride there? Yeah, because he wants to ride and jump up and down. This is a sport. I wouldn't do that, no. But at times in South America, you get you go have wonderful area at the uh, Torre del Paine and, and places like this. But you can't get on towards the the, uh, the the Argentinian way. You would have to go a long way around on reasonably good roads. But so you can go. And I went over the mountain on a horse trail. I do that too because you would cut off maybe a, a thousand k's, uh, 500 miles or something like that. But uh, that depends on the situation and on, on uh, the whim that takes me, I may, I may not, but usually I'm, uh, I'm, I'm taking the good roads. <laughs> the other thing is I have so much language. 
you know, all, everything has, has accumulated, the souvenirs, and like 50 kilograms of luggage I used to have on. The bike I used to have was 25 kilograms as well. But, uh, yeah, you have to push. Yeah, it's not the distance, not the speed, it's not somehow you get there. I've been on the highest mountains, mountain pass in the world, but it had taken me sometimes three days from the base to the top, you know, walking most of the time. 5,360 meters, uh, that's higher than the highest mountain in the United States, you know. And that's in, in, in the Himalayas, I, I went maybe over four or five passes, more than 5,000 meters. But it took, it took my time. And sometimes it is because I want to do this route, because the people tell you it is very difficult, or it's, well, it's wonderful, and then I do make an effort to make uh, a special route, like the Cartera Austral in Chile, which wasn't there when I was there in the 60s, but Pinochet built it at the cost of many, many lives, because he put the soldiers to work there, and, uh, and that route I wanted to do. And so one time there wasn't enough money for This was not so long ago. So I cycled down the Atlantic coast from Buenos Aires to the to, to Tierra de Fuego and then up on the other side on the Cantera Austral, that they call it. And I've done the Trans-Canada Highway. I've done the, the Tanama truck in Australia. Some Lately, in the last 10 years, I'm doing more such things. Uh, not so interested in cities anymore. I like to be on my own in the forest somewhere, and I have a bit of more money in my pocket too at the moment, so it's, uh, it's uh, those things that attract to me. And then right now it's only because uh, and, uh, for some years I cycled with a bike Friday from Eugene, Oregon in like 2004, I picked it up at the company, and uh, about five years later or six years later, Brompton came because they offered me some, some assistance and some sponsorship. And uh, I left, I sent, there was in, uh, they sent the bike to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I sent the, Bron uh, the uh, bike Friday to, to Eugene, Oregon, and it still sits there in the, in, the, in, the, in the company. But the idea was because of two years sitting on a desk now and writing and my muscles deteriorating and got pain in the, sh in the, in the hip, and I said, you've got to do some long distance route. And so I decided to pick up the bike Friday fly to Eugene and uh, cycle back to the East Coast. In fact, then Brompton came in and said, you know what, why do you take our bike? <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. And then they connected me with bike shops and stuff like that. Because you got to do something. And I, I must say, I'm, I was in a way happier because I, I always have the bike with me. So I airport without the bike, you know, you have to the taxi or what, what, you know, it's much better you jump on the bike and you go anywhere you want. That's the greatest thing, what, what you, you take the taxi with you all the time. In the last, I must say in the last 10 years I flew a lot because it's the South Pacific Islands, how do you get there? There's no boats, you can forget, unless you have your own boat, uh, then you could go, but uh, the flights that, that take you to these islands, the South Pacific Islands, and then the problem of course was for the times when you were camping out, do you have any special secrets for keeping away uh, big insects and wild animals? Yeah, I, oh, I, I have so many tricks there that I developed. Like, of course, uh, termites. You like to hear about termites? <laughs> they, they attack your fabric in the, the, the tent. Oh. Well, yeah, from 
the devils live often in the ground. I see somebody is a botanist can, can agree with that. Yeah, sometimes I, I'm sleeping, I hear some fun, funny sound. And I, 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 I know now what it is, but I, in the beginning I didn't know. And I was wondering what it was. And now you see what, we take off the tent, you see that they have uh, already tried to attack the material, you know. So the, the trick was, in the night, you put your ear on the, on, the, on the bottom of the tent and you hear them, it's a sort of funny sound of because they are attacking and building, they have to build something around themselves before they attack and consume the material. You hear that. All you do is bang the ground and it shakes and they retreat back into their, sometimes deep into the earth. And everything's quiet again, maybe it takes them two or three hours before they can come and attack again. That's one of the things. But uh, uh, tent is, 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 is keeping away the, the, I mean, I don't cook outside necessarily. Everybody says, don't cook inside the tent, but I cook inside the tent, you know. Because outside you have, uh, you have the mosquitoes to defend. I've never had malaria. And everybody who has, I've been talking to, they've been traveling in, in Africa and in the South America and in, in, in India, they've had malaria, you know, but I've never had it. Because I don't like being, when, when I'm staying with people, I of, often ask, are there mosquitoes around? And they usually say, no. No, no, don't worry. So, okay, I bed down wherever they give me the bed. <laughs> hey, what's this? I jump up, get my mosquito leg, always have my mosquito leg, I have a mosquito leg now again. Uh, take it and find some place for put the, the, the tub tax in and put the, the net up and I have my rest, you know. But uh, still you could catch it, but it's, uh, it, the chance is much better that you will not, if you, if you take care that you will not be bitten. Mosquito, uh, tetsu flies, tetsu flies are nasty. They are flying, you cannot outright them because they are flying up to 60 kilometers an hour easily with you and they go for movement and the bicycle is exactly what they go for because it's really designed for animals, you know, where they, they run and turn. But you, you, you notice them immediately because they are big and they land on you when you notice that and they know that you notice it and they don't like that. So they fly with you and they fly in the, in the shade of your, where your eyes can't see them. They fly even over in the shade and somewhere where you can't see them. But somehow you will see them passing by, for example. So you're, you're alert because you know they bite is beastly. So you make a, I, I the right amount, the right size of towel you have to have. You made a knot, knot into it. And then as they fly with you, sometimes they they think they want to sneak up on you over either the clothes to get on your on your skin. Whenever they try, when, once you suddenly see them some sitting somewhere, but always out of sight, but you know where it's sitting. So you hit it with the with the knot, and then falling down with your finger, you got it. You know, that's uh, how how you stay away from uh, the tetsu flies. You know, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes they defeat you. Problems with bigger animals. Animals. I, I'm afraid of bears in the, in the north because they smell the food and I can't just put the food away from my tent and 
I mean, I put them in plastic bags and stuff. They are they have a certain bags that's supposed to be avoiding a bit of the smell, but you can't avoid it completely. So you have uh, in, a, in, a northern, in a northern areas you buy yourself bear spray and uh, a, a whistle, but I never had to defend myself that way against the bear. But I was always scared because I've heard stories about uh, when the people uh, my personal personal. Uh, stories for people that were mainly black bears, not not the grizzlies as much, you know. They attacked the tent and ripped the tent of one guy, he was canoeing in the Mackenzie River and he, he, he defended himself with bear spray and he, he went but he came back again after and so then he, he used his paddle, he was paddling, he used his paddle, hit him on the nose and they don't like that, so he, he got rid of him, but his tent was gone. So I'm always afraid of that. Dogs are famous enemies of cyclists. But uh, you, first of all, you must not show any fear. And then you have also a way of defending yourself. It's usually shepherds or something where there are uh, animals in the field. There are sheep guarding the guard dogs. And they come racing towards you and you pedal you pedal fast as you can and they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, but they're faster than you pedaling. <laughs> but the way they're coming, they're coming sort of diagonally towards you and so sort of move a bit as, as you move away from them. And then you have to use the trick. I'm a footballer, yeah? I'm a footballer. <laughs> so as he approaches, the dog approaches again close, you're going away a little bit towards the, the middle of the road. Be careful with cars, you know. And then you suddenly make a right turn so that he's basically have to hit you and your foot is ready you, you have a right foot you know and then you bang down under here right up bye bye that's how I defend myself not only working not only working my, my left foot was very bad so when I fell with my bike and everything on top of a shepherd dog that was in Ireland I left a note on the door be careful your dog does not get killed one day <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, mainly not to show any fear. They, they know dogs are very sensitive when you shout at them and, of course, they stone throw in movement, is of course, now. But I don't have spray or anything for them. You must have encountered some unusual weather conditions in places where you fight. Yeah. You're kind of scared, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, if, if it rains, you, I set up my tent and, and wait the rain out, you know, sometimes a long time, three days in Norway is quite frequent when, when it rains for three days without stopping, then you have time to do your diaries but uh, at other times you hear about, about thunderstorms and, and balls and lightning and stuff and they say that they have a radio and they, they warn you it's ground to ground lightning. Stay, stay at home. <laughs> yeah, I stay in my tent. <laughs> in the United States, you have some severe weather sometimes. Eh? Tornadoes. I don't want to be in a tornado. It would lift you up and, and, and throw you about 100 meters down again. You know? But uh, uh, typhoons. I've, I've gone through a few typhoons, but you have to find a, a, a proper place to stay 
and you, you have to wait the typhoon out sometimes two or three days. I don't have, I've never been in a hurricane. Yes, I've been, well, they call it typhoon in, in the gap, in Far East, and they call it a cyclone in, uh, in the southern hemisphere, and in the hurricane in this part, there was a cyclone one time in Mauritius. But I also stayed, well, you find you, you soon be, be taken in in such weather condition, and you, you wait it out, you know. But I'm always running away. I'm not brave and say, no, I've got to go. And if it's raining, if I find a place, I, if it's a bus shed, I may stay there a day in the bus shed, waiting for the rain to stop. When you were a kid, did you want to be something when you grew up? Did you have an idea? Like when, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I don't know what I wanted to be. <laughs> uh, did I want to be? Who would I make her? But since I couldn't make the big teams, I had to do something else. <laughs> so biking, biking was uh, because of football. Probably the sport, the sporting aspect was important to, to do it on your own with your own power and choose a bicycle rather than any other thing. But it was also because of the money. Because you know, I I started. It's $300 in my pocket with no way of having any more. You know, I started out towards Africa with $300 in my pocket. Not much money. You have to be, uh, uh, have a good ideas very quickly. But in Ethiopia, I got money from uh, the only head of state I ever met was Haile Selassie. And he gave me $500. It was a lot of money. And it was just uh, because I was handed on and I had the article in the newspaper there, and then some of the, uh, the ministers, they call them a minister, or a painter, his, his palace painter, he had a sketch of, of the emperor put into my, at that time I started with some memo cards of people that, that a book, and he, he drew the, the emperor into the book, and then he said, you must present this to the emperor so he will sign it, you know. And it was not so easy because he had to send it to the, another minister and another minister. And it was his 72nd birthday and he was very busy with all the receptions and things like that. He says, come back next week. And this was all in Addis Ababa. And then finally, the a minister of justice, he took me to the palace where everybody was on the ground. You know, he walked through, even about my side. He was pretty good, you could see the eyes. You know. And he, we shook hands and he spoke a few words in English. And then it was translated, and then I didn't know that he gave me the money, but he gave the instructions to the minister. He probably gave the instructions for 5,000, and the minister gave me 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you got to get the money somehow. <laughs> so at the, with that money, I managed to get to South Africa, and then, uh, then it's the, the booklet started. And then I had the money to go to South America, and then uh, and the, the sky was the limit. Did you come up with a biking racing ratio? I have no much idea about that. what was the best. Uh, I did make a double handlebar to, to, to put. I meant time wise. Like I'm gonna bike for two days and then rest for two days. No. Or uh, <laughs> it's so it's not planned at all. But it's, it's people stop you. You sit down with them, have a beer. You sit down with them, have a second beer. 
<laughs> sit down after the eighth beer, you still sit down there. I got a picture there, I can't show you, but the bottles piling up and cans piling up. And that's at the end of the day. People always trust, you know, everything is secondary. When there's a nice person and you go and give time to them, you know, that's number one. And I've always uh, fared well that way, you know, although not always, but almost always. There is no, uh, well I did have a, a system in the big cities in the, in the time in South America where I would take three to four weeks in the capital to organize various things and there, especially in South America there are a lot of German clubs. I would go to the German club and would play football in the, in the club team and at the same time make a presentation in uh, the Wednesdays or so they came together and then they would put a hat there and they would put money in there and make a little something like this now. And uh, so, and then I was uh, handed around because they had their contact everywhere. I went to the German school there, presented to the, to the kids. And so, in a city, well, any capital in South, any South American country, I would make enough money for three, four months of traveling around in the country, and even have some money left to, for the next country. But I would do that regularly in every country. Altogether, about three years that I did in South America. And it was a very good way of traveling. I met so many people that way. And, and, and at that time, the Lonely Planet and all these things were not around, you know. You get information from people and they would take you to the, the site. Don't you know we have this and that? And so we drive there. That's the way it was, it was going there. Along the way, did you uh, have any thoughts about doing things? You wish you'd done things differently, like take it a different route or stay in a place longer? I'm not getting. Did you have any, like, as you were traveling, did you have any times when you were like, oh, I wish I had done this differently or done that differently? Uh, well, I would have done something differently when you are attacked over your rock and when you are tricked. Uh, but <laughs> there was quite a few uh, uh, tricks that uh, people play on me. For example, uh, a Swiss guy in a train coming from uh, San Rafael on the coast back to Paris one time I was in a night train and of course I took my bike and everything into the uh, compartment and I slept with the bike so people walking through the train and there was this Swiss guy coming and he had a Swiss accent and he was he said he was a, 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 a médecin sans frontières uh, doctors without borders and he had been working in, uh, in Afghanistan because I had been there, I believe, yeah, you had been working in Afghanistan, you were in Mogadishu in Somalia, and I had been there, so well, we talked and talked, and then he said, well, he, the, the conductor came through and he produced a piece of paper where it, it said that he had been uh, attacked and robbed in, uh, in Nice, Nice is in, uh, the city where the train came from, and the, the conductor took it and he went away, and so I, and we talked about that, yeah, he had been attacked, and, no money left, and uh, he was on his way to Paris for the for the Swiss embassy. And he never asked for money. I said I offered him if it helped him, you know, so he could go back to Switzerland directly. So I gave him 100 euro, actually 80 euro, and he gave me an address of his, of his sister, and he gave me another telephone number. And so he said, the moment I'm back, I send you back the money. So I waited about two weeks later, three weeks later, nothing happened. So I called the number, which they said is my sister. So I said this was a little place called Addisville 
<laughs> in Switzerland. And he said, who? Roland Krüger? No. Doctor? No, not in Addisville. No, that's not my brother. Oh, brother. I said, you can forget that money. <laughs> but imagine, you know, it's a, such a good... I, I, I was so... Uh, and he never even asked for money. <laughs> but things like that have happened a few times. But uh, the beggars, the normal thing, the, 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 the sleight of hand, you know, the, the changing you because partly you want to make more money on the black market. With a lot of countries you have a black market. So you have to be very careful exchanging your dollars with black in the, on the black market, you know, because there's a lot of back and forth first, you count it all, and then you still hold on to the dollars, and then he, 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 he wants to pack up his money back, and then uh, he says, oh, I agree, okay, now we can exchange, but in the meantime he has taken a few a few of them back and put into his sleeve, you know, and then you finally count it up and he said, oh, shit, man, it's not, it's not that amount of money at all, you know. But you have been hoping to get more money because of the black market, you play the black market, you know. And everybody does, in some countries there is no other way of the black market, and everybody does it. And the difference is like five times as, as much in Venezuela recently. It was like, you can't use even your, your, your ATM, you can use the ATM, but they give you the official rate. Nobody was was uh, was changing money on the official rate because it was only one third of what you would get anywhere else. In the, and it was it was regularly done. It was not even it was illegal probably, but nobody nobody cared, you know. So uh, you, you were stuck with your, your your credit card. The only thing, well, what can you do? <laughs> you live on nothing, or you do. I tried to get some money from. I had some cash dollars still at the time. But I wanted to go to, to uh, one of the last few islands in the Caribbean, the, one, the, the, the Dutch ones it's called. One is uh, uh, Curaçao, Aruba, and Bonaire. And I hadn't been to Bonaire, and I wanted to go from Caracas from directly to Bonaire. And, uh, and I wanted really to cash money there to get the euro, because they have euro there in, in Bonaire, because it's part of Europe, you know. So I wanted to get with my, my credit card, and it wouldn't it wouldn't take it. <laughs> but many anyway, that that's some of the, the things that we have to better know about before. Otherwise, well, in the end, you have the money, you, you lose it. So what, you know? Yeah, you, you swallow it down, right? You have, you have made a mistake. But I always made the money on the way, so it's, uh, it's I always get back to money again. Were well, some other aspects of the bike, of the Brompton, or my bike was a heavy clonker of about 20, 25 kilograms. I made about half a million kilometers with that, with that, with that bike that had uh, about 50 kilograms of luggage. And that's probably why I'm worn out now. <laughs> and then because of the flying back and forth, I, I started with the, with the bike Friday and then with the Brompton. And now I'm very happy with the problem. They're a bit slow sometimes in, in shelling out the money, but they do shell. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw your bike at Bike Friday when I was on a town on a bike tour around Oregon. I was a silly trucker. And it inspired me to buy the Bike Friday and then I buy one that I bought Lama. And then continued on my bike tour. I went to Greater Leon and Ben and all that. Well, Bike Friday was also a very good bike. I had to 
pocket llama was called, it was a sturdy bike. Yeah. I'm not the dead cheapest one, but uh, I, I, would have, I probably would have been still riding it if it wasn't for the, the offer that came from Brompton, you know. And it wasn't Brompton itself, it was uh, a very good customer of Brompton, who was my, I call it a groupie. <laughs> and he always I met him in Amsterdam a long time before and he always wanted to publish something and do it and I was I was gone again for for a year and then well, do something, do something with it, you know. So he was the one uh, the bike uh, the Brompton was selling for a while really good in Spain and they couldn't really build enough bikes, they had a waiting list and everything, so he proposed uh, uh, that to Brompton and so they could not say no because he was a good customer of Brompton that's why it went you know. and then they were probably happy enough with it because now they have even a book you know, they, that's very unusual that a company pays for the book like that you know. but they did a good job it's, uh, mainly the Dutchman Kuskun is his name he was behind it all he pushed it Otherwise, I would, uh, well, somehow I had to get, I had to do something. I had some offers from publishing houses, but you can't make any money with them. You get so little money, and there are so few books are being sold nowadays, that uh, it's basically it's, uh, it's, it's uh, useless, and I'm trying to get a, uh, a publishing house that, that advances and that sees the potential in other books that, because of so, so the many material that I have, the many photographs that I have, that much more can be made from it, and maybe some, something will come about it in the future. Yeah. Is there a time uh, biking you uh, maybe got really lost, or just was found yourself ill prepared, and you thought like, "This is it. I'm, I'm yeah. not going to make it back to." Well, if the bicycle, the bicycle was stolen six times. You know, and if the bicycle would have been lost, I might have considered. But it, it, we, I always stayed long enough that the bicycle was found, mm-hmm. and it was always with the help of television. Of I mean, in Russia, one time in the big city of Shita, uh, I you know the, the shops had all crumbled in that after the Soviet Union had fallen apart, and the big uh, department stores they were they had nothing. But inside. Uh, enterprising individuals had set up little kiosks where they would sell whatever they got from the West or whatever they had to sell and so I needed batteries even batteries were difficult to find like I arrived in the city uh, I, I looked at this shop and I saw this kiosk and I went inside it was big windows but I left the bike on a outside on a pole and uh, I have every so often I had to look at the bike still there so I looked and I couldn't find it. Then I, there was a kiosk where they had some cameras and it looked like they, they had the batteries there. But as I was approaching the kiosk and I looked another time, the bike was gone. So I, I banded everything behind it, turned to the left, stopped the taxi driver. He turned around, right around. And he said, what do you want? They run the other way up the road. There's a group of policemen coming and I said, sir, you couldn't, I don't speak that much Russian. I said, yeah, 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 we see there's some guy coming up here with a bicycle, you know. So we, we, we went to the police station, we went around with a police car, everywhere in town, the bike was gone, you know. So then there was uh, 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 the, uh, the police station called a, a, a woman who spoke German because there was still some German teaching in schools there. 
and and she then we went to the the mayor. It was on a Saturday. It was the assistant mayor was only there, and and they put me up in a in a in a hotel, and they, they called the chief of police, and they said, well, we we got to find. It was on a weekend. The woman said, "Now we got to we got to te- to talk to the television station." So there was a television was there, and I stayed in the hotel. And I see this woman every ten minutes. The program was, was broken, and she was standing there telling the story about this German guy who cycling all the way with his bicycle. His bicycle was stolen, and so people saw it. And the the guy who had stolen it had left all the luggage with some friends of his. He couldn't take it back home because it it was it was it was a youngster. <laughs> and so the girls, uh, they they saw it, and so they called. They, they took the stuff. It's not me. It's not us. You know, we took it to the police station. They were, who is the guy? They said, of course, who it was, but he was gone. You know, but they found him eventually. So little by little, everything came back. It took uh, two or three days, and. Uh, because he had said he had sold it or he didn't have it anymore. He tried to tried some tricks to keep some of the stuff. Some of the stuff was gone forever. In the end, I had to make a list of all this, the luggage that I had. And then there was uh, something was missing, some tools were missing, and there was uh, a leather belt was missing. You know, the policewoman, what she did was she took off her belt, the belt and she gave it, and I wore it for many years. <laughs> that was a happy end of that. That was the, the fifth one. The sixth one, the make big world news, it happened in, in, in England, coming off the ferry, and this, the bike was stolen in front of my tent, because I, I set up my tent right outside the ferry area, in a little area, and it made big news, in the, uh, all the uh, uh, press, and the associated press, and it went around the world, and after only a day and a half, the, the thief had dumped the bicycle in a, in a park, and, it was it was a return in big from far and the, the, the Guardian and all the big newspapers came and wanted in depth story about my life on the bicycle <laughs> and then I had a big trouble on the road because the pe- people all knew because all of England knew because it had been in the tabloid papers in the Sun on the first page and all these big papers they have there and and so they stopped the, the car on the road and said oh you got glad you got your bike back. <laughs> This was uh, the last time, and hopefully the last time. And six times altogether. Once in San Francisco, also with the help of television and a disc jockey. He had it on his, every time he stopped one, he was the, the, talking about the guy who travels the world. And imagine, in a city like San Francisco, his bike was lost. People calling in and said, he can, he, he can have one of our bikes. He had about five, six offers in a short time. But I wanted my bike back, and then we had a reward set up uh, in the area where it had been stolen. And finally, some kids came forward and said, uh, it was true that they get another bike if they knew where the bicycle was. And they, they knew where the bicycle was, because maybe they were the ones that stole it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> but the disc jockey had to manage to get three bikes, and, because there were three kids, and each one wanted a bike, you know. So finally, they showed us in the backyard of a church, where there was sort of a a dead get, uh, you know, where the kids came and played with stuff and stolen stuff and things like that. But I got my bike back. They, each one of them got a bike from, from the disc jockey. <laughs> then the television came. And, and they, 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 they oh, how, how does it feel you have your bike back? <laughs> mm. 
So that's also happening six times altogether. But I shall have got my bike back. So this is probably why I didn't. If I had no bike and no money to buy another one, and I didn't want another one, because it's not just a bike, that's why I didn't want the bikes that were offered in, uh, at, the, at the disc jockey, you know. So, but I think it, there was deep inside never really a, a, an intention to, 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 to throw it in, because there was no need to. For the, the very important thing is that it's really miserable at the moment. It's really miserable, and you want to give up. Just stop and set up your camp. Put, go into the sleeping bag and sleep it off for a couple of days. And before you know, everything shines bright again. The sun. You know, it's like that. I've, I've I've done a bit of that because simply. Uh, you, you, you can go back into your tent and, and you're, you're protected and you can read and you can relax and you can listen to the radio. I've never talked about the radio because the radio also helped me to pick up the languages, you know, because I have it 24 hours on my in the, on the bike. I put it in the front, you know, if, if I can hear it. Of course, you have only the, the local station usually. In the night you get the, you get the shortwave and you get the BBC and the Voice of America and all the big stations you want. And I was better sometimes informed in the middle of nowhere because you can't communicate with the people, but you listen to the radio, and you have all the you have in-depth uh, st- programs of the BBC, and you know all about it. You know, so I'm not uh, uh, away from uh, what's happening in the world. Some more? You too. Sure. Come <laughs> I hope not too personal. So, have you, have people become attached uh, to you enough that they've traveled with you for longer periods? Or alternatively, have you felt attached and wanted to settle down for a long time? Uh, I'm, uh, it's very important to listen to my body. And when you are with somebody, you don't do that. You know, neither the person who says, you know, I have a, a Belgian guy, he was also around the world cyclist and he, he wanted to meet me as a the legend, you know what yes. I said. And uh, we met by chance in Bangkok. And he said, he pushed me and said, no, I, I, let's go to the, let's go to Laos. I've been in Laos before, but uh, eventually, okay, let's go to Laos, you know. Uh, and, but I tell you what, you are going to be my slave. And he said, you do the way I do, okay? In the end, it turned out that I became his slave because he was riding and was doing things the way he was doing and I was doing mine. And I, I'm, I, I'm more flexible than most people, but it's not my style. And it's, I miss, I miss uh, uh, all my photography because you don't look when you're when you with somebody else. With somebody else. And if you see something, you will see, ah, uh, you can't stop, he, he, he can't, you have to stop him. And, uh, or, or you will see that again sometime when it's suitable. I, I don't find it productive to go with somebody. With somebody you can close yourself away from encounter with the people in a country. Alone you have to depend on them and they like to, to approach a, a, lone, a, a lone person more than if you are with somebody. With the exception perhaps when it's a couple. You know, a couple or if you have a child with them, there are a lot of people have been traveling around the world with a 
a couple and a child or two. Yeah. And they have usually good stories to tell. Uh, but the, uh, the danger is that you're alone, that uh, someone who wants to attack you uh, tries it more on a, a, a person who is alone yeah. than if you are with somebody. That's definitely a, 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 a point to remember. Uh, uh, camping is can be a problem because uh, in the night I try to stay away from from uh, sight, you know. And usually it's possible after night is fall it's okay, but many places are crowded with people, so maybe they have been drinking, and then a group of drunks come and they stumble upon you, know, and you can't get rid of them. And in China, one time I really had a bad experience because because they they thought this is a stranger in our in our our region, and the guy was really aggressive. But you could see he was completely drunk. The others tried to hold him back, and but he charged me. It's just like a like a bullfight. All you move if you do is move to the side. He fell flat on his face. And of course that made him more angry, you know. So he came up like a and he grabbed a big stone and he came charging again with the stone. And the same the same thing again, you know. Once he fall again, you know? But it was getting very difficult to there were three of them, you know. But the other two tried to hold him back, then he, he jumped free again and he, he jumped on my bike with a line and he jumped on it and I run away. I run to the road. Left everything behind. And there's a, there was in the night. And there's a, a, they called the police, and the police was there pretty soon. And uh, and some of the stuff they were gone, but some of the stuff was still there. So that was one of those incidents that that could have been avoided. And then the police. It was a closed area in China, you know. <laughs> and they still find me on top of it. <laughs> they took me away, took me, put me into a hotel where I had to pay, and uh, then they find me because I was in a closed area. In China, it's a big problem. In those days, and even now, there are closed and open areas. And I, I can't be bothered. I'm, I'm going to China. I've been to every province in China, 35,000 kilometers by bicycle in China. But in half of the time, I was in, in prohibited areas because because we didn't know which, yes, there was a book that tells you exactly where it was closed and where it's not, but I took my route according to how I wanted to go. I didn't ask for closed or not. You know. So, one of the problems is that if you stay in a hotel, the hotel owner must report you to the police. And then the police comes, and then the police say, well, this is a closed area. So they will try to take you and find you. But the, the, the good thing is, they don't just put uh, connected with it with another person in the neighboring in their in their jurisdiction you have to be out but 100 kilometers further on you start again you know. I was exposed to China I had, a, I, had, I had a court case a real court case with the judges and everything condemning me because I was in Tibet uh, without a permit you know and, and so they <laughs> Uh, they confiscated, in the end, they confiscated my bicycle, they confiscated my camera, they confiscated my films, they uh, confiscated my mats, and they fined me six, uh, $20 or something, which was not much really, 
and I had to pay 60 for a transport to Lhasa, which wasn't far away from Lhasa where it happened. I'd been quite a long time in Tibet already, illegally, illegally, and they wanted to go there anyway, so it was a military vehicle, they were packed with people, the bicycle had to stay behind, and I was I was dumped in Lhasa to the police there. Then they put me in a hotel, and they uh, uh, wanted to, me to fly out of the country, although they had checked everything in my luggage, and they knew that I had travelers, I probably had the money, but they didn't realize. I said, I don't have the money. I have to go overland out, you know. And so it was like three weeks I was in Lhasa trying to find some, to officially find some transport, but I didn't want to really leave them. They wanted to see the place as well, you know. They had a connection with the German embassy. And they tried, through their place in Beijing, they asked the police in Lhasa uh, to give me my bicycle. So I had to wait for the bicycle to come, and that took a long time because there was no transport in those places. The, the, the main route from Chengdu to Lhasa was, was a very difficult road over high passes and broken often. But in the end, I got my bicycle back. But I wasn't allowed to to, uh, to cycle with it, so they sent me with a guard to the next town, which was called Chigatse, and there I stayed another ten days because they had to try then to find transport for me to to Kathmandu to uh, or to the border. And they never found one. Every three days I would go. Finally, they gave me back the bicycle so I could ride around the place. Wonderful. And then after, after about eight or ten days, uh, ten days it was, I just simply took my bike and, and rode the bike to, to Nepal. You know, another 600 kilometers you know, with roadblocks. And with a red stamp in my passport, that uh, expulsion. You know, a little bit later, I, I was back in China again. <laughs> I had the German embassy, they, they, they stamped the passport, uh, they gave me another one, and I went back to Hong Kong and back into China again. I mean, a lot of, lot of such stories. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I retract my question. You'd be a good spot, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we traveled with other people, no? Yeah. yeah. So it was the story with the, uh, the Belgian guy, and there was a... Uh, English round the world cyclist. I've been doing a lot of cycling in Martin Eves was his name, but he said I'm I'm very bad, I'm I'm riding very slow, I just had hepatitis and I'm still suffering from something in the liver. So uh, and that was in an area in Assam in the in the part of it. other other side of India where it was also needed special permit to go. And, and we went together and we went across the barricades and the people were shouting, you know, that and they went on to a place called uh, Akatala in uh, Tripura, which is what's the, the state bordering to, to Burma, which is very delicate in those days. But he was a guy, he was riding, just charging ahead. I said, Martin, uh, you, you have no power, but why are you going so fast, you know? And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he was done. And so we had to find a place that, uh, according to how we wanted it, you know, that was because we were completely uh, non-compatible, you know, in our riding style. So, but, but that was about, all together, maybe two weeks ago, we were together. And, and um, uh, a bit of, of tracking in, uh, in the Himalayas, uh, base camp. Okay. But that was, that's not without the ride, you know. Uh, the Canadian guy. But generally, I, 
uh, when you meet some other cyclists, or if you meet them on the road, what, what, how do you meet them? How do you meet them on the road? Ego knows you yourself. So, so who is turning around to go with one? No. So you go your way, maybe sleep a night together, with the, you put up a tent somewhere, to blah blah blah, and yeah, all night, you know. And then uh, you go your way, and he goes your way. Unless it's in a city where people come, and, and if you happen to, like the one in, uh, in Bangkok, he, he was in Bangkok, and I was in Bangkok, and so we could plan that route to, to Laos, which, uh, uh, which I, I had been, but I, I, I didn't mind the second time in Laos. Uh, but if you are connected, with the whole, nowadays everybody is connected, and if you want to go with somebody, it's easy to do. In the beginning, I would have done going with somebody, but uh, I learned quickly that it was much better to do here. And of course, you can't blame anybody. Can you blame yourself? <laughs> and that's a, a very important point. Eh? It's a very difficult because you're, you're going with somebody, and, and who is the one who, who made the made the wrong decision, the wrong turn, whatever it is, you know. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I definitely think it's, it's better to travel alone. Is that okay? Thank you. <laughs> Can you talk about the language? Yeah, the language is, uh, like I, in my school, no, no, no foreign language was taught because it was only elementary school. And, uh, and English uh, was only since I started some small journeys in the, my apprenticeship at the school in Vatican, I was pregnant, I did some travel. I decided early on that I needed uh, some English. And I, I, I sat in the toilet of, uh, of my, my, my working place and uh, I was uh, learning vocabulary. You know. What's he doing? Yeah, I, I got some trouble with my stomach. <laughs> 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 but I was learning the language. But everything self-taught, and then later it was uh, I was writing with uh, with the radio on, I, I uh, memorizing words all the time. Uh, it is not uh, the the way to get complicated uh, about grammar and stuff like that. That's uh, not not my. And then later it comes from hearing. It sounds right. It sounds wrong. But that's how 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 uh, I picked up English and Spanish that way. Reasonably well. French not so good because pronunciation-wise is difficult. But I have no problem to get around with, with French. But good conversation not possible in French. But in Spanish it is and in, in English. And I still speak a little bit of German too. He's learning English. <laughs> <laughs> but the trick is uh, uh, vocabulary. Repeating, repeating, and it's good in your right bike. We have cards right in front of your face. So you go and do other things, and you go through without even effort, no effort, just just look, read over it. You have the the the, 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 the how do you say the, the pronunciation in your way, you know, so you know how it's pronounced, not correct, but then you hear later on the radio what's correct. Then little by little, you have, like maybe if you have memorized a thousand words. You begin with the language, you know, then you, you start with grammar as well, but basics. That simple past, simple future, simple present. But everything that when they are in school now, they have words for uh, what makes the language. I have no idea. 
I just, I just used it, you know, make my mistakes. Problem is that are they ever correct you? <laughs> so some mistakes will stay forever, I suppose. They, they think there's not a mistake. They make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. But Spanish comes easy, pronunciation-wise. And I, I studied quite a bit of Japanese, and I could, uh, and because I've sold 35,000 uh, booklets in Japan, and it was all in Japanese, and I, even today I can tell you exactly how I sold the booklets in Japanese. And they always say, oh, how good is your Japanese? <laughs> but then that was enough, you know, not, not too much. <laughs> I was lost. It's a difficult language, not from pronunciation, but from... Uh, because of all kinds of levels of uh, uh, children to parents and parents, women to men, and and to, uh, a, a lower employee to a higher one, and it's all the, the system, the standing in society makes the the person speak differently, and that's the main problem. The children speak differently. In Germany? Yeah. You're from there? No, from Hong Kong. Okay. Oh, yeah, Hong Kong. <laughs> Yeah, you left a long time ago, or? Uh, when I was 15. Huh? When I was 15. Okay, but you, you still remember. Where, where did you live in Hong Kong? In Kowloon, or? Homati. Oh, Homati, yeah. Yeah, I spent, it was one of, I had base camps in my work, 50 years. The first one was, was London, since I started with an agency there, and, and my photographs were in an agency, and every so often I went back to Hong Kong, and a very good friend there, which house I could stay and could leave things. That was for, for quite a number of years, and still is, a, a little bit. Then there was uh, another base camp was in Hong Kong, for, from 1988 to 1998, back to Hong Kong, into China back to India, back to Hong Kong, into the South Pacific, back to Hong Kong. I had some really rich friends there. He was a super millionaire. Who, uh, I, he was in bike business in the beginning. But and I stayed with uh, Mr. Lee. He has a bike shop there. I slept in the, in the storeroom above the shop. And that was my base camp. And every so often this rich millionaire came by and he said, tonight we're going eating again. So... And Mr. Lee said, come along. <laughs> and we went to places where there's, wow, there's incredible, these restaurants in Hong Kong, sometimes in big buildings, as far as the eye can see, only tables and people eating. But in the game room, you know, some days it's okay. like that, it's incredible, you know. And I'm the only white face, you know. <laughs> but we, we would go to places where we get, he gets his uh, separated place, Usually there were a couple of other people there because it's a business that he was a businessman. And then he would order all kinds of things. And then the soup, you know, yeah, it's a good noodle, so everybody laughs, you know, it's a shark fin soup, which costs a lot of money. At the end, the guy, they, before that, they were playing Majo. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, before, so the, the millionaire couldn't speak much English, but my bicycle friend, he could speak English, so it was translated. Finally, he said, okay, finish. Uh, the, the, the lady came with the bill. We gave her a, a, a proper bill, a proper tip, and then he said, "So you okay?" So this is for your journey, you know. And you know, the Hong Kong money was yellow. You know, the yellow is the biggest note they had, a thousand, and so it was a pack. 
that he always put in my pocket, you know, for your journey, he said. So he says, oh, this is several of those. <laughs> Sometimes it was like six or seven. So that was like a thousand dollars tip, you know, just for my journey. Uh, this was nice. <laughs> I had a, a big party one time for a reason. No, he's not rich anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the problem was he was in, in real estate. And it was incredible the, 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 the thought of how much things cost in Hong Kong. And then the Chinese came in 97. And he had borrowed all that. He didn't want to borrow. They gave him money as much as he wanted. As a multi-millionaire. I mean, like we talk about maybe a billion. I don't know. But and uh, at, at that time, he had to pay all the money back to the bank. And the real estate had been down. They couldn't pay them back. So what to do? They hopefully get better. No, he doesn't get better. So they took all his money. And, uh, and I mean, they left him enough. So he wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, getting hungry but because these people have some safety you know, somewhere but the, the, the great days was with uh, Alfred Lee was his name yeah the great days were over is the one in the mall yeah yeah Mr. Lee has the bike shop uh, flying ball yeah, he's there for a long time and he, he's my good uh, I have so much money from him as well you know because every time I go in the shop yeah are you out of money? Okay, he has a thousand. And you know, the, the business was no computer, no nothing. You know, the, the cash register was open all day. You know, he, he, he would go in and get money out of there. There's no way how much oh was in God. there. <laughs> but everybody so honest there, you know. Mm. He, did, he still did well, or whatever it was. Huh. The only time sometimes he had break-ins, but that was not because they, they could walk in from the front and take the take the money out of the... He wouldn't have noticed anybody. He wouldn't have even known it, you know. But they would, they, they, in the night, they would come in, breaking in a proper way from the back, from the back and breaking windows in the back. You know? yeah. <laughs> in reality, they could go right in front. You know? yeah. I mean, you have those, uh, uh, those uh, uh, jewelry or shops that are being uh, uh, robbed by uh, uh, what is called the mafia there. Oh, yeah. They try... Uh, uh, the, the triads, the triads, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, it's a great time in Hong Kong. It's one of the greatest uh, cities in the world as well. You know, Hong Kong is busy, yeah? I tell you. The busiest place in the world. You know, there are people, it's just in, unbelievable. You know, they're absolutely everywhere, moving back and forth. And, and it's, it's a great shopping area. I did sell my booklet there one time in front of the station of, of uh, Hong Kong Station on, on the site not on the native side, but on the other side, you know. And this was a sort of kind of little courtyard. Okay. And it was pretty good. But I need, never did it so much there. Because also there, the city police, they don't like uh, street sellers, you know. Mm-hmm. Although they didn't bother me a lot, but uh, the proper street sellers there, they were running, they all had watch, uh, people watching them. But they would not come in uniforms, of course, they would come in civilian, you know. But uh, then they, they were so smart, they were gone, everything was gone but by the time the, the city police was there. But I was still there. <laughs> but, but I really had, uh, well, anyway, that's Hong Kong. One of my base camps, oh, the base camp, that's right. And then the last base camp was Paris. That I decided to learn French, uh, I decided that I hadn't been in France, I decided to make a French uh, edition brochure and make a one year journey through France 
but it so happened that I, I met some nice people there and they put me up in, uh, in Paris and, and so and it didn't, I didn't sell so quickly and it's the same time I went to other places and came back there and so it, it developed into, into a base camp first at the daughter's place, she was also a world cyclist and then she went to the south of France and then she sent me to her mother who had a big house then she got married and had one child after another, four of them and then the mother had to sell the house and then the, the daughter put me into the father's place who had also moved to the south of France didn't want to rent the place and so I'm, I'm, I was there I had the key and everything as if it was mine and I never had to pay any electricity everything was taken care of by, by, the, uh, by the husband of, uh, by the father of, the, of the, the girl that was she was a great athlete as well, triathlete that, uh, and her, her husband as well well, she actually gave up when the, she was in the United States and she, she was up in the north here and it had been raining all the time and she was miserable because of, and she was afraid of, of losing the fell in love with that guy, you know. And so, well, these men, they don't wait long, you know. <laughs> and so she gave up her journey and then they got married and, and so that's the way, the, the way it took. Now they're in Salt Lake City, I'm going to visit them. You know, they have, uh, she's, uh, she's teaching French and... Uh, uh, she's getting good money there. Uh, money, money is like five, four or five times as much as you would get in France, you know. So that's my first, my next stop. Yeah, boys. Are we over? Or, I mean, I, I mean, questions come. I mean, it's endless. The story is endless. Other, other aspects. Uh, what are some of the the strangest or most interesting like, cultural norms or cultural events that you experience? Uh, that are difficult with cultural norms. Yeah, like what was in, in Arab world, something for example. In the Arab world, yeah. behave accordingly or what? Yeah, just like uh, in terms of like, well, was there like, interesting food or festivals but or things like that? It's worthwhile to get some information about the do's and the don'ts in some countries. You are forgiven usually because uh, you are. A tourist, or a, you know, you have money. Especially Arab countries are not necessarily poor. Uh, you know, that's that's where Saudi Arabia. Or to get into Saudi Arabia, not easy as a as a traveler. Was one of those 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 things that we had to work out how to get there because every embassy I ever went to to find out about getting into into Saudi Arabia, they had even a sign right outside. Uh, Tourists need not apply you know, because they don't want they had enough foreign workers there. And uh, so uh, you had to have a, find a way to get in, and this was possible through the German embassy that employed me for a, uh, a lecture in their embassy in, in Saudi Arabia. And when you have that, then the, 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 the embassy issues you a visa for 30 days. That's initial. And then you have to, if you work in Saudi Arabia, you have to regularize yourself in, inside Saudi Arabia, but they give you 30 days. And that was perfect so, to get in. But while I was in Saudi Arabia, it was so unusual that somebody riding a bicycle through there, I was 144 times stopped. You know, the, I know the number, you know why? what? Because, you know, Robinson Crusoe. You know, Robinson Crusoe, how do you pronounce it? Yeah. yeah the story yeah. of this uh, man on the island that was, uh, and he made every day, he made a, a mark in a tree, yeah? and I made a mark every day. Then every time I was stopped, I made a mark in my second handlebar. 
It's still there on my other bike, you know. So the positive ones I, I, I kept on the right side, the negative ones on the left side. I had about 77, yeah, I mean that's about half and half. The, the, the positive ones, they gave me money. They, they, they just, you need my ah, if I had only had the courage to get a piece of paper in Arabic that I'm riding around the world with goodwill and that I need your help, I would have been a rich man, I tell you. That. <laughs> but every time they asked, but you need money? No, no, I, I'm fine. You know. But even then, sometimes I just put some money in my pocket, you know. And the others were, what are you doing here? I take a picture in the desert, so for some beautiful rock formations, you are not allowed that, you know. You stop, car stop on the road, take cars on the road, stop you. It says, cycling is not allowed in Saudi Arabia. Put it on the car. I said, I refuse. I, I'm riding the bicycle, you know, I'm riding the bicycle. I don't know what the guy is, he's a civilian, but he's a policeman. There are a lot of civilian policemen there than the religious ones. They have more power than the other ones, you know. So he didn't want me to ride him with, 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 with shorts, you know. But I, one time I refused. I jumped in the middle of the road and stopped the next car. This is one of my, my, uh, my escapes sometimes when it gets, gets dangerous. I simply look, he says, car coming, jump in the road, stop the car. He has to run you down. That's it. I mean, in the last minute, I would have probably jumped, jumped clear, but they always stop. So out of the car came a, a Saudi, you know, white dress, but he spoke excellent English. I've been studying in the United States. And he said, you are the bicycle. I read about you. Oh, I mean, that sounds good, you know. So what's the problem? Give him the love to ride the bicycle, you know. And this guy, a guy turns to this guy and he, uh, he says, uh, this guy, oh, no, no, he was very strict even with the young men. So he was agreed that the young men would ride in the front, I would ride in the middle, and the policeman would ride in the back, you know. So we ride into the next town together. Then the, the one who stopped me handed me over to the uniform police, so he saved his face, I don't know what happened, but so he was, he was gone, and then the man who I had stopped, the, the young uh, American educated Arab, he took me to a dinner first, you know, and then he said, I'm up the road in Medina, where non-Christians, uh, non-Muslims are not supposed to go. You come and visit me there, <laughs> which I did. So we rode around town, which is not allowed for me, but with a curtain drawn, because these cars have all, all kind of curtains, I mean, maybe for the women as well, you know. And then they made a, made a big dinner for me, with uh, only men, of course. <laughs> and they were sitting in a big room, with, in the middle there was a plate of rice, about six feet across the plate, with, a, with about three feet high, the rice, and inside him was a whole sheep, you know. Uh, and so it was, it was a ride, the circle around them, and, and there were no, no tools, nothing. They were grabbing big chunks, and there were, and one guy was taking care of what I should eat, you know. So he tore away the, the nice cheeks and stuff like that. Yeah, that kind of thing happened because this policeman and then this one, sometimes it's a beautiful kind of uh, chain reaction that happens. You're looking at the rock. You're looking at the watch, no?
interesting question. <laughs> how long? How long is the longest you've gone without food while on the biking? Without water, you are dead in two days. Yeah. How without water. Yeah. And there have been a few months, few times when it was very, very. I was paranoid. I was. Uh, uh, what's the other word to say? Uh, mm-hmm. Delirious. Mm-hmm. No, it, I mean, uh, I, I, there was no chance of finding water, and the last drop of water was three, four hours before, was 45 degrees, was in a desert in Djibouti, you know, in the north of Somalia, and it was just a pure chance that I found water, because it was in a wadi. And I'd be looking up the water down, and there was a, one place where there were some some palm trees, which which indicate that there's water down, and I, and it must have been a picnic place at one stage, but the French had all left at the time, and it was many things were broken, and I did find a little can of uh, uh, coke, which was buried in the sand. There was no coke in there, but but there was a mud and little water in the bottom. So that was an indication that some water had, it was the end of what they call the rainy season, but it was a dry water. So uh, I had been at Lake Assal, which is way below sea level, and it's a salt lake. So I had water from the salt lake, but you can't drink it. It's about 30%. It's, it's like the Dead Sea in, uh, in, in uh, Israel. You can't drink that. But I had used it on my body to cool me down because it was so hot and I was getting white because the salt was staying on my body. And then I, I was getting to the point where that... So I tried to go, I left everything behind and tried to walk down the water and after about 500 yards or 1,000 yards, something like that, I found a pothole with water in it. You know, that was the rescue. That was, uh, I mean, it's not having water, it's... Uh, it's uh, you get, there's no worry, you just want the water, you know. But food, after you haven't eaten for a long time, you're not hungry. And you can stand without food for quite some time. And if you start eating again, you have to be careful, you're not eating too much at once, you know, because suddenly you will throw it up again. You have to live by living, right? You know? what, what countries are the hardest to get water in? Yeah. What countries are the hardest to procure water? Well, you have all the desert areas, but uh, in the desert, you, unless, unless you go where you can expect vehicles, you have to take care of the water. And there are people that have been walking through the, the Sahara with camels and things, but they have they have uh, 50, 100 liters of water in, uh, in, in goat bags, you know, where they put them on the camels. You couldn't possibly do that on a bicycle. If you go on route across the Sahara from south to north, 57 days, but it was on a piste where there were vehicles sometimes, you know, so they all stopped. You know. And in fact, I had sometimes too much water. I, I could take a shower there. <laughs> that day they stopped, and I had a tank in the middle of my bike, which would have 10 liters and some more. So they said, fill it up. I said, it's a very heavy to, to move uh, even 10, 10 more kilograms of water. So I'm always happy with just three, four liters. Now, fill it up. So what to do? Okay, you wash your underwear, you wash your stuff, you wash everything, fill it down to four liters, and you start riding again, and then another car stops. <laughs> <laughs> fill it up, you know. 
It's only 200 kilometers to Taman Rasa, but fill it up. No, I have enough. No, fill it up, you know. So you have to fill it up with you, but she has too much water, you know. <laughs> but it really happened. And one time I refused. There was a French car, and they said, Okay, you're going to die. <laughs> Another time I had the one up because you know they you have big cars, good cars, you know, so they drive north. So suddenly you come to a, an area where the piece where the tracks suddenly moves another direction. What is it? No. We are going north. And we are going north. Everybody are going to go north. So they drive north. I came to this spot, and of course I went to follow the, the tracks, you know, to, after some time I see them up in high dunes, shoveling, you know. Oh, <laughs> Long time afterwards, I, these um, dunes, they move, and they move like 10, 20, 30 meters a year, and if there's a piece before, they completely cover the, the piece, so the piece goes around, and then another way. So I went on the other side, long on the other side, but finally they, they caught up with me, you know, that they stopped it. Yeah, I said, I saw you there. You had a nice job up in the dunes. <laughs> so they, they came out. What can we do for you? And one of the things they gave me was a green apple. You know? And I gobbled it down with everything, you know, from, and never bothered about the skin or what. We pinned and everything. So you wrote later about it. They couldn't believe it. Could, could, could come up and, it must have been a big surprise for me to have an, an apple which I was already several weeks into the journey into the Sahara, you know. And they gave me a few other things. And then they took off. But I had a little bit of contact with them later, you know, from England. And one guy I met by chance in the Caribbean, he had a, a sailboat. And he said, you know, I was sitting in one of the, the airports in the Caribbean. And he says, what are you doing here? I met you in the Sahara. <laughs> I met a lot of people like that, especially through my selling of the booklets. I meet so many people and they, they remember it's a guy who's traveled for, forever. And uh, they approach me and say, look, you were there, you were there, I met you there. It happened all the time. Now it doesn't happen anymore because the Grumpen is, is not my passport. The, the other bike was my passport, you know, world map on it. You will see pictures in the book of the... There is, first of all, the decision was when I was riding the Grumpen, I said, okay, I can give you something back, I'll write reports about it, you know, and I sent me reports, and I did eight reports, because eight sort of journeys I did with the doctor, and, uh, but then I said, look, you can make a little little presentation with it and send it to the, the distributors, and so that's what my, my expression is, my, my experience is with the problem, but instead they used the whole, the whole journey, you know, and it's a mixture of things, and it's quite nicely done, you know, so. But it's the main thing is they printed, they, they distributed, and they gave me 300 books so I can present it to my friends. Because I owe, I owe a lot of uh, things to a lot of my sponsors. So they get now a book for free. <laughs> but in reality, I'm a smart guy, you know. <laughs> in reality, I have inside the, it's not in these ones, inside the cover I have the personal data, you know, the statistics and exactly the, the way of what I've done in, in numbers and in the end is of course my home address my new address uh, that I settled down there and my bank account whatever bank account bank account <laughs> you imagine you know and 
all the money is coming in now. <laughs> That's clever. <laughs> it was designed to give them a present, you know, because they have been, have been benefiting from them before. But it's covering exactly the, the amount that I would get for, in England it's sold for 15 pounds, and here I suppose it's 20, what is the seller for here, 20? 25, I believe. Oh, you're tricky. <laughs> <laughs> 25. That's oh, for, for Catherine. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's okay. That makes it sell them for 80 if you sign them. <laughs> <laughs> So I cover, it covered, the, I sent 160 books so far to different people in the world and uh, it covered just about as if I would have solved them, you know. Even average, you know, that many, many I've given in my hometown. Of course they wouldn't have paid, you know, but others paid more. So this is uh, how, how something, yeah, I haven't got any insurance, any, uh, any pension, any anything, so now I have to work with, with the result of my journey. But I'm not afraid because I live in a place now, no, 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 no rent, which is the worry for most people. The regular 800 a month, 800 a month, 800 a month, must come in, must come in. It depends on the salary you have, you know. Where is it at? Where? It's in Germany, in a small town where I was born. It's near Hanover is to the east, the Ruhr is to the west. Hamburg is to the north, Frankfurt is to the south. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's a bit of a problem because the people there, they are, I don't know, it's difficult to, if it's envious or what it is, it's difficult. I can't really uh, communicate with them. The level of uh, uh, world travel, or something. Or they have travel and things, but it's not like that. But I have an open door. So many people coming now from from people that I met from France, from from England, they are, they are, uh, from Australia. They, they are making a point to see me do. You know, it's good. How have you kept in touch with the people you've met over the years? How many? How have you kept in touch with the people? Well, that with the many thousands, it's impossible. Right. But at one time, I decided to send a postcard to everybody that I knew at that time, and it was a thousand forty postcards that I sent from Hong Kong, actually. You know, but there are more. I have uh, master copies of different countries where, well, especially the modern countries, in African countries, you meet somebody, you give you an address, uh, a little while later, it's gone. It's, it's there, but in, in, in uh, Japan, Australia, all of Europe, North America, to a lesser extent, South America. Those are the ones that I have, every country I have a, a book uh, where if they have changed or not, it doesn't matter, but all the, the people I know and name and I have a name from are in this book. And it's usually with a little note uh, where I met them and the circumstances of our meeting. So many times I can remember them. And uh, uh, I always wanted a partner in a partnership that I have the content of potentially saleable assets and somebody has the technology and we go through the internet and to make a, an archive uh, selling photographs through the internet. I know this is possible, people do it, uh, although it's not as, as good as the agent. I was with a photographic agency at one time 
but it's also possible that you don't have to employ people except if I have a partner. We make 50-50 and he takes care of the technology, the scanning and all this. It's a big job because there's 100,000 photographs still lying in my place, you know. Most of them uh, diapositiva, uh, that's uh, slides, you know. So they have to be scanned. But uh, the last four years I'm also taking digital, there are also 30,000 already from. And this not just double, double, double. Sometimes people take just one after another. They are usually two, maximum three from one, one subject, you know. And sometimes only one. So uh, I, I bank on a possibility of, uh, of uh, selling it through the internet to photographs and making, making more uh, books on special aspects of my travels, for photography, for example, and uh, uh, stories of dis- uh, surprises in night in the night. Because I slept about 5,000 times in my tent. And all what can happen in the night, you know, it's just all, there's a lot of, lot of these stories to tell. And photographs. Because every night, I can, the campsite, I photograph my campsite. And they're different. I always look for very nice campsites. Last night I was in front of, there was a fairground, but it was all overgrown because it's only once a year or so, the grass was this high. And because I couldn't find a motel, because I couldn't come here in time for today, so I had to, I had to find a, 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 this, a woman I met at the, at the McDonald's because it was raining. And she, we talked about, we talked to the shop here, and how do I get here? Because I couldn't cycle in, there was still 80 miles away. And uh, so she said, I take you here tomorrow. And she came to and there, and I went up and down the, the, the strip there near near Centralia. Centralia, and what's the other place? She, Shailis, yeah, Shailis, yeah. And uh, I went up and down. I couldn't find a rundown motel that would have been priced properly, you know. <laughs> so behind this uh, fairground, there was a huge area, and there was uh, one area with this huge tires were piled up, you know. Why don't they have these gigantic tires? And with my rotten tires, it was just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> And I put my tent there, so that's a nice picture. So such pictures I'm looking for often. And so I have a massive amount of incredible places where I put up my tent, you know. And always have a star rating, you know. Two stars, three stars, four stars, five stars. <laughs> In the middle of a sea of flowers and a beautiful covered uh, something over so the dew doesn't wake the dead wet in the morning. So you have face towards the east so you can welcome the, the sun if there is sun if it's not just the rain <laughs> I mean such places there I just get a kick out <laughs> and then I take pictures of course so that may make a book of, uh, of places and stories with those places and all the animals for example the slimy snails that we have in rainy England Big buggers at this one, brown and black. And you know, they leave shit on the tent as well. You know, they, as they crowd 10 centimeters, they shit once. Eh? And then they leave slime behind on the tent. And this, you can, in, from, from inside, you can see them against the light when it's in the morning. You know? Boy, that's a job to get all those snails off your tent. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a, but I don't know if it has never been really a, a bad, bad, bad disaster that that I uh, it would come. Uh, I have other others uh, food poisoning, for example, but that was not in the tent. You know. mm-hmm. yeah, if you eat, uh, you know, you should never eat the food if you're not sure. You know, I, I do that because I don't never waste food. And that's my problem because if you are. If you have forgotten about food, I approached Tbilisi in Georgia and I had some food that should be eaten, I forgot about it and before I go into the city and get tempted by fresh food, I got to finish my own food, you know, and there was some kind of meat to buy with it. So the moment I arrived in the, in the center of town, I got down with the incredible food poisoning, you know, and this is not a good story. <laughs> and it come out and this animal there and one I was not going to know I would go to the hospital and, and then a hotel I wanted to get out you know the hotel wouldn't want to take me because they saw I was dying in his, in his room in his hotel and the stairs and finally the police was there again and then the ambulance was there again and then it was inside the courtyard of, a, of a, some kind of guest house they carried me up in the guest house and it was just next to the toilet, of course, because I need the toilet all the time. <laughs> but I got over it. The day later, I was okay. You know, cleaned out everything. And that's, uh, food poisoning, I don't, uh, I don't want anybody to have food poisoning. But it was, uh, you know, you should make up your mind that the food is not good anymore. You can, must be able to throw it away. You know. But I, I have the problem. Is, uh, eating the food. Also now in my place in, in Germany, I, I just, even in the refrigerator, you can't leave things for too long, but you always have enough. So you always want the fresh food. And then you got people coming. So if people coming, you buy more food because that's the last thing that, that uh, for me, I don't need much. But when the, when you have guests, you want, you want them to have good food. You know, the way it goes. But I think it's everywhere it's the same. Yeah, I suppose the strangest thing you ever eat. Oh, in Hong Kong food, don't tell me about food, my God. <laughs> oh, and they eat also, and I can eat even more. I mean, they, they were so surprised that small guy like this guy, he was eating after everybody stopped eating. And there was always too much on the table, you know. I don't know, you remember, have you been back since you were, when you were 15? Have you been back for for a visit, yeah? In uh, Homatin now, Homatin. Yeah, I know that. It's it's, uh, it's not uh, recovered from the sea, or was it? Is that recovered from the sea area? It's on a hill, it's uh, between Mount Kok and Timsacha. Yes. You go directly, you go directly, and you go over, but most of, most of the buses go around. Yeah. But how much is on the other side? What, what, where is that ship? Uh, that ship in the, that is uh, a restaurant and... Oh, that's Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong, yeah. yeah. But it, that, that is the area of Hongkong. No? no, it's a little bit up. It's a little bit up, yeah. yeah. But, mm, I didn't live there, so I lived right there. Oh, it's nice. And, and I lived in Kowloon. When the airplanes came down, you know, I have pictures in the book, you will see. If, if you get the book, you will see the airplane coming. You can touch it almost with your hands. 
<laughs> right over the houses. And when you go on top of the houses, yeah. hey, <laughs> I, I never had an accident there. And now it's, of course, a different airport. It was called Kaitak at that time. It was really in the city. I left the, 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 the terminal, it was all very crowded. And a few, few uh, down the uh, Boundary Street, uh, back into into Nathan, uh, and there was the place Mr. Lee was there. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you all memories. for all your stories. Yes. Yeah, we're going to wrap so up. So many stories. If that's okay. I'm sure you could talk for weeks. All right. Well, that was Heinz Stuka telling some stories there at Clever Cycles. Um, thank you very much to Clever Cycles for allowing us to publish this, and thank you again to Heinz's people as well uh, for the permission to publish this talk. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed being there. And yeah, go to bed, brush your teeth. <laughs>